Leadership is a big topic these days. From staff retention to getting better performance from teams, there's a lot of pressure on leadership to be better leaders. Probably one of the best places to look for role models and best practices in leadership is to the people who manage professional sports teams. The stakes are high, and so is the pressure. After all, sports is really all about performance, and measured in each and every game, even down to single plays. One of the best teams to learn leadership from is the legendary Dallas Cowboys. Mark Oristano spent 30 years with the Cowboys. Today he is joining us on a seat at the table to share the leadership principles that he feels helped drive the Cowboys' tremendous success. Mark worked under the legendary Cowboy president and general manager, Tech Schramm, where he was part of that incredible management style that kept employees working for the team for decades. In this episode, Mark will share three ways to build your team for future success and that massively reduces turnover, how to relate to your team so you become each member's champion, and how to be a strong leader without creating a culture of fear. A big part of building a great team is having great people on your team. Finding and recruiting those people is not easy. That's why successful companies and even startups work with world-class recruitment firms like AsiaNet Consultants to help them find the right talent. With over three decades of working with global clients, AsiaNet understands how to find and recruit the right people to fill even those difficult to fill positions. You can learn more about AsiaNet Consultants over at their website at asianetconsultants.com. Okay, sports fans, let's take a look behind the scenes at what made the Dallas Cowboys leadership so successful. Mark, I am just delighted to have you here with us on a seat at the table. I'm really excited to hear about your experience with the Dallas Cowboys. I think there's a lot we can unpack. Uh, it's great to be here. I appreciate you having me. And yes, there is a, there's a lot to learn from people who you don't have to like football. It doesn't matter if you're an American football fan or not. There's We're talking about the front office and not on the field. So there's a big difference. Exactly. I think that anyone who's successful has something that we can all learn from. Now, I think maybe we can just start, if you don't mind, just giving us your interpretation of, of what, what you feel made that original Cowboys franchise so successful off the field as well as on the field? Well, if you had to pick one thing, it would probably be the guy who ran the operation, whose name was Tex Schramm, Texas E. Schramm. Actually, his first name was actually Texas. And of course, we called him Tex. And he was the president and general manager for the first 29 years of the organization from 1960 to 1989. And he just had a brilliant way of working with people, of uh, managing situations and, and, uh, and employees. He was a, a, a pioneer in the NFL in a lot of ways. He was the first. He came up with luxury boxes in stadiums, uh, instant replay, which I'm not a big fan of, but that's a, that's a different story. Uh, cheerleaders on the sidelines. The Dallas Cowboy cheerleaders became an internationally famous organization during his reign. And uh, he pioneered also a, a lot of ways of just treating people to make sure they stayed. People stayed in that organization and that operation for, for dozens and dozens and dozens. Because there were many people who were there from the very beginning to the very end, all 29 years. And that, I think, says something about management, that people would stay that long and be that enthusiastic. Oh, absolutely. Now, do you have examples of how he might have handled difficult situations or, or what about his style maybe prompted people to stay for so long? 
Well, there are, there are a couple that come to mind right away. The first is that he had what he called his three rules for staffing, which was the basis of the entire operation. And the three rules and, and all of this stuff, you're, people are going to listen to this and think this is too simple to work. Yes, it's simple, but it does work. And his three rules for staffing were, number one, hire the best people you can find, obviously. Number two, train them your way, which is important. And number three was get out of their way and let them do the job you hired them to do. Don't micromanage. You put those three things together and you're already at least 50 to 60% down the road toward having a really solid organization. But the one thing that always sticks with me whenever I think about my time working with Tex and the Cowboys, I asked him one day, and got to remember back, this was back in like the early 70s when I was like 25 years old. I mean, I was just a kid and I was working with the second most powerful man in the National Football League and he treated me like an equal and that's the way he treated everybody. But I asked him, why is this such a happy place to work? Why do people, I mean, I know it's glamorous and it's the NFL and it's the Dallas Cowboys, but everybody's so excited to come to work every day. And Tex said, that's because I make sure that nobody does their best work in a climate of fear. And that is still to this day, the best single piece of management advice I've ever heard. I've had jobs where I walked in in the morning and the moment I saw my boss, I got depressed because I had to work for the guy who didn't know what he was doing and was a moron. And, you know, Tex made sure that that wasn't the case. Tex treated everybody like the human beings that they were, and they responded to that, obviously. That's such a good point. And I think it, it takes a tremendous amount of self-confidence on the part of leadership to be able to treat everybody that way and not feel that you have to sort of lord over people and make them feel inferior in order to make you, you look or feel superior, so to speak. Well, there's a, a great heart surgeon who once said um, something to the effect of uh, success is not what I can achieve. It's what all those around me can achieve. Uh, he understood his name was Jonah Folkman, by the way. He understood that uh, the, it was the success of the team that mattered. And I guess if you really had to put one word to the Dallas Cowboy organization that explained why it works, so all the front office aspect of it is we had just as much of a team in the front office as we had on the field. The team on the field was led by the coach, Tom Landry, and it was totally his operation. Nobody interfered with him. The team in the front office was led by Tex, and nobody interfered with him. And everybody, I don't care what business you're in or what part of life you're in or what age you are, being part of a team is really a lot of fun. Being part of a group of people who have a shared joint interest and a joint goal and a joint task is a great way to work because it gets everybody uh, on the same page, everybody pushing in the same direction. And it's just when it works, it's a lot of fun. And uh, I think I think if you can create a team atmosphere in your place, again, you're halfway down the road towards success. That's a great point. And I like the fact that you brought up that he made the front office team feel like as important a team as the players. And I mean, in any company, you have more and less prestigious departments, right? So you know, it's difficult if you're in one, if you're in the glamour department, so to speak, and in the case of sports, obviously it's the players. Um, it's easy to feel that enthusiasm, so to speak. And you're, you're having, you know, so much, uh, I don't know what you'd call it, adulation from the fans, particularly if you're winning, but it's hard when you're in a front office or a back office department. So it's really interesting that he was able to create that feeling of, of importance for that group of people. Well, I'll give you one example that fits that very well. This was, now, you got to remember, this was back again in the early 70s when I started working for them. And at that time, the NFL was not the multi-billion dollar organization it is today. And the cowboy practice field where the players worked out was a tin hut. 
<laughs> like a big Quonset hut in a part of North Dallas. And we had a guy named Otis and Otis's job was to take care of the practice field of the facility. And, you know, for all I knew, there were rats in there. I mean, it was a really old ratty place, but Otis kept it shining like a top. And Otis, because he was a full-time Cowboy employee, every time they won the Super Bowl, Otis got a Super Bowl ring. And Otis right. had two big diamond-encrusted Super Bowl rings that showed that he was helping the Dallas Cowboys win the Super Bowl. He wasn't just cleaning out the locker room. He was helping the team succeed because if they came in and the place was in order and everything was where they expected it to be and they knew where their pads and their jersey were, they were going to have less to worry about and they could concentrate on the next game. So, yeah, being part of a team from the top to the bottom, from Tex down to Otis, and I'm not saying Otis was the bottom, but Otis was, you know, that he was the locker room janitor and manager. Uh, you, if everybody feels like a team, you're going to just accomplish amazing things. No question. That's so true. And yet it's really so often overlooked. And as you said earlier, it's something that's really simple in terms of the concept. And yet it's massive in terms of the impact that it has on the different people. And, and in there, not only performing their functions well, but also in terms of their feeling part of a team and adding to that, that total team spirit. And it, it, again, it all came down from Tex because it flows down from the top in any organization. And it's, it's, it's little things like there was, Tex would tell us, uh, and this was in the pre-Google, pre-internet era, obviously. Tex would, if he asked us a question, he said, if, if I ask you something and you don't know the answer to it, tell me you don't know the answer, but you'll have the answer on my desk in 30 minutes. So with that one simple statement, Tex was giving us permission to say one of the most important things you can say in life, which is, I don't know. The, so the, the beginning of all wisdom is uttering the phrase, I don't know. So you said, look, I'm sorry, I don't know, but I'll have it, I'll have it on your desk in 30 minutes. One time he asked me how many uh, coin tosses we had lost on the road the previous season. And I said, I'll have it on your desk in 30 minutes. I had it on his desk in 10 minutes because I was really good. But um, it was it just it, it takes a huge amount of pressure off your people to allow them to not have to know everything. And of course, today with Google, you should have the answer for them in 10 seconds. So it's it's a whole different information world. But that was just one of the things that that made it a very, very easy and enjoyable place to work, the right to be wrong. That's so true. I mean, I think that a lot of people are afraid, as you say, to say, I don't know, or to admit they didn't do something um, and you know, sort of bury a problem rather than bringing it forward to management and then perhaps working together to get it solved. Well, it's just it, it's it's a, a matter of ex, of accepting the fact that it is really simple, and it and it basically comes down to treating people the way you want to be treated yourself. It's the golden rule, you know, that which is harmful to you, do not do to any others. And that's it, it's so basic and so simple, and yet it's as you said, it's so often ignored. Absolutely. Now you talk about staffing with principle. Can you tell us a little bit about what you mean by that? Well, the first thing is, and of course, staffing, when you look at staffing in the overall uh, picture of not just bringing people in, but making sure that they stay, because one of the biggest problems for any company is turnover. And True. without going through the stats, you know, turnover, it costs you theoretically one third of a departing employee's salary to replace them. That's a lot of money. Wow. Because you got people have to double up their work and you have to go through interviews and you have to go through vetting and training and et cetera, et cetera. So if you look at those simple three rules, the first is hire the best people you can find. It's going to cost you a little more upfront because you're going for better people, but they're going to hang around longer. They're going to stay late. They're going to think, I hate this phrase, but they're going to think outside the box. Um, <laughs> they're going to be creative. They're going to work better. They're going to be better employees. And so it's worth that upfront extra expense. 
The second is train them your way to the extent that if you're the Cowboys and you sign a new quarterback, you're not going to give him the Los Angeles Rams playbook. You're going to give him your playbook and teach him how you do things and how you expect things to be done. And when you train them that way and they understand what their place is in the organization, how they're supposed to work, they do wonderful things. And the third is, and maybe this is the most important among equals, get out of their way and let them do the job you train them to do. If you stand over somebody's shoulder and you watch everything they do and you micromanage them, they're going to feel like they're eight years old and mom is checking on their math homework. You got to give people room to A, make mistakes because oftentimes success comes out of those mistakes and B, feel like even if they have screwed up, they're still an important member of the team. So you leave them alone and you let them do the job that they need to do. Now, what happens if things don't go right? Number one, if someone makes a mistake, you gently correct them. That's easy. If they make the same mistake again, you correct them maybe a little more firmly. If they make the same mistake a third time, maybe you better go back and review rule number one, which said hire the best people you can find. Maybe you didn't do that. And yes, sometimes you're going to have to let people go. It's painful for them. And guess what? It should be painful for you too. It should be just as difficult for you to let them go as it is for them to leave. But that's part of treating people like they are humans. Very simple. Oh, absolutely. Now, do you have any best practices or tips or advice for how you find the best people? I mean, it sounds easy, but it's not always easy, particularly if you're not great at, at interviewing people. And I'm not great at interviewing people for jobs. <laughs> well, I th there's there's... I found out about that absolutely has always um, just amazed me. It's a man named Walt Bettinger, who's the CEO of Charles Schwab Brokerage. Okay. And he has a thing that he calls the coffee shop test. When he's about to hire a new manager, a new person in a big, important position, one of the things that he does is he takes them to breakfast at a local coffee shop. But before the guy gets there, before the hire, the interviewer, get, the interviewee rather, gets there, uh, Bettinger tells the head of the coffee shop, look, make sure that my waiter screws up my friend's order. Make sure he gets it all wrong. Don't worry. I'm not going to get mad. You're not going to get in trouble. I'll give him a really big tip, but make sure he gets it wrong. And the point is, when the interviewee shows up and they serve him scrambled eggs and he ordered fried eggs, let's see how he reacts to the waiter. If he says, hey, uh, waiter, this isn't right. Fix this right away. This is not a kind of guy you want to have hanging around your office. This is a guy who likes to give orders and is a bully. But if he says, you know, I'm sorry, I didn't, maybe I didn't make myself clear. I asked for, for fried eggs and these are scrambled. Could we get, could you exchange them? You know, if he's nice to the waiter, He's going to be nice to the people who work for him. And so by simply taking the guy to breakfast, you found out right away what kind of a person you're hiring in terms of personality, what kind of way, how he's going to interact with everybody on the staff, including you. You know, is he going to start getting arrogant with the people over his head, too? Uh, and I think this goes for anybody in any kind of management position. I think it's a brilliant, brilliant way to find uh, people who are willing to actually be people and be human in the office. But beyond that, you just, you know, you have to have standards that you're looking for. Uh, this In this job, uh, if you're looking for a new public relations director, you're looking for somebody with journalism experience, somebody with who's good with people, somebody who knows perhaps already a little bit or more about your industry. And uh, you have to do your homework. It's not just a matter of saying, hey, here's a job opening, send us your resume. Uh, you need to know what you want. Like when you buy a car, you need to know what you want when you walk in the dealership. Instead of just blindly walking around saying, oh, I know there's somebody out there. I'll find them by luck. No, you can't do that. You got to do your homework. Oh, absolutely. And I like I like that coffee shop test. I think that's great. It is. You're right. It really is an easy way to see how somebody reacts because they're certainly not expecting the person 
who has taken them to breakfast to be judging them on that. So you really do get to see, to see sort of, you know, a behind the scenes, uh, like a preview of how they may act. Absolutely. And, and it, again, like so many things that are, I don't know, amazing or, or kind of knock you off the, off your feet. It's incredibly simple. It's not, they didn't put him through a battery of psychological tests to find out whether he was a type A or B or C. They just screwed up his breakfast order and they found out. And it's just, it's, it, it's, it's a marvelous idea. Credit to Walt Bettinger for that. Oh, absolutely. It's, it's funny. Sometimes the simple things are really the most effective and the more complicated um, systems. And, and I don't know what you'd call it. I'm, I'm struggling to find the right word, but sometimes simpler is truly the best. It, it, it is because it's, I think we tend to complicate things so much in this country and, and we, we try to uh, establish goals and aims that are uh, unrealistic and put far too much pressure on people who are working for us. And that's just a, a recipe for disaster. And you have, uh, well, let me, I'll give you a small example. Okay. Um, 1975, I was the uh, a weekend sportscaster at the CBS TV station here in Dallas. I've been there six weeks and I had yet to meet the general manager, the guy I worked for. One day I'm waiting for the elevator to go down to the newsroom. The elevator door opens and the general manager is standing on the elevator reading a newspaper. So I get on and I say, hi, Mr. Smith, not his real name. Right. He stopped. He looked over the top of his newspaper at me kind of glaringly. And he snapped his newspaper, looked it back down and just continued reading. Didn't never even spoke to me. Mm. I didn't last very long there. A year later, September 26, 1976, I actually remember the date and you'll find out why. Okay. I was a game day PR assistant for the Cowboys. I was in charge of the radio TV press box. I, was, uh, I would get to the game three hours before kickoff to make sure that everything was set and everybody had all the information they needed. But on this day, September 26, 1976, I didn't get there till almost halftime. Everybody knew I would be late. Everybody, I had explained what was going on. What was going on was that was the day that my first child, my son Kelly, was born. Oh, so wonderful. they understood that I was late and that's fine and everything. Well, every Tuesday following a game, and the Cowboys beat the Baltimore Colts that day viciously, but every <laughs> Tuesday following the game, we had what we called the Landry Luncheon, where Coach Landry would meet with the media, talk about the last game and talk about the next game. And at that luncheon, the PR staff would hand out a, a paper with uh, some stats and information on it. And at the bottom, there would be a list of the big plays of the game, big play on offense, big play on defense. And unknown to me, this day, two days after my son was born, at the bottom of the sheet, it said, biggest play of the game, Kelly Robert Oristano for showing up at a Presbyterian Hospital weighing seven pounds, 11 ounces, and keeping his father away from the game until halftime. When everybody <laughs> read that, everybody in the room came over to congratulate me, including Tex and Coach Landry. Wow. Now, ch Channel 4 on the one hand, Cowboys on the other hand, which place do you want to work? There's no contest. You want to work at the place where you're treated like a human being because you are one. Simple. Absolutely. I really think you've brought up some very important points. And, and what you've said is something that any company can really implement. You don't need extra budget. You don't need extra staffing. Anyone can really implement this and totally elevate what they're doing. You know, you don't need a vice president of treating people right. That's not a job <laughs> that you're interviewing. It's not a job that you're interviewing for. You just need to study a few basic precepts. You need to, uh, just treat people the way you want to be treated. If you don't want to be yelled at, don't yell at people. If you don't want to be ignored, don't ignore people. It's just, it's all so basic and so simple. And uh, I invite anybody who's listening to visit my website, leadwithprincipal.com. And that's P-L-E principle, leadwithprincipal.com. 
and you can find out more about ways that you can learn about this amazing system that Tech set up. Wow, that's fabulous. Well, I'm going to put those links in the show notes. And I really want to thank you so much, Mark, for taking the time to join us here on A Seat at the Table, for sharing such valuable insights, things that, you know, when you explain them, they sound simplistic, but actually they really have so much, so much power that they bring to anyone in leadership. You're looking for ways to make your staff more responsive and better and, and able to deal with the customers and their problems better. And you do that, as we said time and time again here today, by treating them treating your people like their people so that they will do the same for the people that they encounter in the course of their jobs. And if you do that right, you can't, you can't help but win. This is almost a guaranteed win situation. It's just, just be a nice guy. How hard can it be? Be a nice guy. Come on. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Well, thank you again for sharing so many transformative insights with us. Really appreciate your taking the time, Mark. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. Enjoyed it.